Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. And I'm bringing you the scripture reading this morning. Um, there's Bibles in front of you. Uh, it's on page 1162, if you're going to use those. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The name, that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Well, on the day that I turned 40, which was some time ago, (laughs) I knew that nothing would ever be the same again. That's because that was the day I decided I needed glasses. I'd been putting it off a while. Maybe you're like me. I didn't want to admit the truth, but the truth was that I had actually needed glasses for some time. So the day that I turned 40, January 23rd, 1994, 40, did I say 30? 40, I called the optometrist, set an appointment, got an eye exam, and walked out shortly thereafter with a brand new pair of glasses. And after that, everything changed. I could see things the way they really are. Whether you realize it or not, we don't always see things the way they really are. To be even more specific, we don't see Jesus many times the way he really is. We're a lot like, I think, Mary Magdalene. You remember in the story of the resurrection, very early in the morning on Sunday, Mary went to the tomb to anoint to take care of Jesus' body, anoint him and so on, what they did back in that day. day. And when she got there, she saw the stone rolled away, she saw angels, and then she saw a man whom she mistook to be the gardener. We're a lot like Mary, I think. We read our Bibles. We go to our churches. We listen to sermons. And yet, we often behave as though Jesus were a million miles away. Some of us live every day with a paralyzing sense of regret about past mistakes. Some of us despise our present situation, whatever it might happen to be. Maybe you hate being single, for instance. Or maybe you hate being married. Or or perhaps you hate not having any children, not being able to have kids, or being short, or any number of different things. 
And then there are still others of us who wake up every morning fearful about the future, feeling no hope, wondering if things are just going to go from bad to worse. This morning, on Easter Sunday morning, God brings us to Philippians chapter 2, this wonderful hymn that we began to look at last week, if you were here. And I believe he's telling us, you here at UPC, if you will really listen to this passage and really grasp it at a far deeper level than ever before. And we may not be able to do that right now, but we can begin, can't we? Really grasp at a deeper level the message of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Really orient our lives around it and live consistently by that passage. Things are going to begin to change. You will see things as they really are. It'll be kind of like wearing glasses for the very first time. Now, I'm not saying by any means that your problems are suddenly going to fizzle and disappear or that you won't have to struggle with problems on a daily level, but you will see things in a whole new light. You will see with new eyes. That's my sermon title this morning, Seeing with New Eyes. And we get it right here. We're going to focus this morning our attention on just three verses of this passage that Kate read, verses 9, 10, and 11. If you were here last week, you saw with us the first part of this amazing hymn, and we've been moving through the book of Philippians for some weeks now in a series that I've called To Know Christ and to Make Him Known, and I trust that we will continue to be able to do that today. What we learned last week in the first part of this hymn, verses 6, pardon me, 7 and 8, is that Jesus Christ has always existed He existed eternally. There never was a time when there was not Jesus Christ. And he has always been God. That's what we saw last time. But we also saw in the rest of the early part of that hymn that he at a point in time when he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he became a human being. He took on human nature. On this chart uh, that I showed you last week, that's the first part of it. He left glory and came down here to earth in the state that we call the state of humiliation. So first the state of the pre-incarnate state and then the state of humiliation. He made himself nothing, we learned. We said last week that he became a nobody so that you and I might become somebodies to God. But that's not the end of the story. Because not only did Jesus come down to earth, but... The day that we're celebrating today, Easter Sunday, he rose again from the dead and that ushered him into this third and last state, the state of exaltation. He rose again from the dead. He appeared before people for a period of about 40 days. And then as we're going to see in a little while, he ascended into heaven. And this state of exaltation is what Paul is talking about in verses 9 through 11. Let me read that again for you. In verse 9 it says that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Now, what if that's really true? What if that is really true? It really happened that Jesus ascended to heaven and was exalted to the right hand of the Father and is there now. What if that is really true? What if he did ascend to that place of authority and is now the supreme commander of the universe? What if one day, as this passage teaches, all of creation, including every single human being that has ever lived, will bow in homage to Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord. Could it be that that's the way things really are? Well, I'm here to say to you this morning that that is the way things really are. And if you'll see life that way, if you will get a Philippians 2 vision of the exalted Jesus, at least three things will begin to be different about you. We're going to look at these three. Let me tell you what they are. First, you'll live with freedom and not regret. You will have courage in spite of your fears. And you'll have hope for the future instead of despair. Now let's break those down and begin to see how a vision of the exalted Jesus, risen and ascended to heaven, will give us the ability to live with freedom and not with regret. Earlier, I said that some of us live with this constant, suffocating sense of regret about the past. Do you? Do you say to yourself, oh, if only I had done this, if only I had done that, if only I, if only you, if only he or she, you fill in the blank. Is that how you live? Many people, many Christians do. Let me ask you a question. What happened between verse 8 and 9? of today's passage. What happened between verse 8 and 9? Verse 8 ends with Jesus hanging lifeless on the cross. And verse 9 says that God exalted Jesus to his right hand in heaven. Question to you is, what happened between those two events? Duh. The resurrection, right? The resurrection happened. As you know, Jesus died on on or around 3 p.m. in the afternoon on Good Friday. We observed that day a couple days ago. And his spirit, when he died, immediately went to heaven. But his body was taken down off the cross and placed in a tomb that was owned by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And it stayed in that tomb the rest of Friday, all day Saturday, and until the wee hours of Sunday morning. And sometime before daybreak, On Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. His spirit and his body were reunited, and he rose from the dead. He appeared to Mary, as I said earlier, and a couple other women. He also appeared to the 11 disciples and over 500 people over a period of almost seven weeks. He was alive. Now, make no mistake. Let's talk about this. The cross is awesome. The cross is awesome. The cross is where Jesus paid for our sins. We should, as Paul says in, uh, I believe it's Galatians chapter 6, boast in the cross. But the cross was only part of Christ's work for us. If Jesus, get this, if Jesus had just died on the cross and his body not raised, what would that have meant? If his body had not been raised, it would have meant that in some way, Somehow, Jesus' atoning work on the cross was deficient. 
Somehow, if his body weren't raised, his atoning work on the cross was not satisfactory to God. Because somehow, it wasn't powerful enough to defeat death or to vanquish or conquer the work of the devil. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ has not been raised, guess what? You're still in your sins. The empty tomb means the death of death and the full acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by the Father. Think of it maybe this way. The the work of Christ on the cross was the payment and the resurrection was our receipt. It was proof that we've been cleansed. It was proof that God's sacrifice had been accepted on the cross. Or like I said, if you get my email newsletter the other day, the cross is like a semicolon to a sentence. Semicolons are good. They complete thoughts, right? But a semicolon anticipates a period. Or better yet, an exclamation point. The resurrection is that exclamation point. See, you can look at the cross and say, my sins have been paid for. But you can look at the empty tomb and say, my sins are gone. They aren't coming back to revisit me. I don't know. Maybe we need not only a a cross hanging there, but a picture of an empty tomb. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not sure how we could do that. But that's the work of Christ. And the empty tomb is so vitally important. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Who is he who condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. Do do you hear those three words, more than that? Have you ever thought that there could be something more than the cross? It is. It is the empty tomb. It's the more than that. It's the exclamation point. Like we said earlier in that first hymn we sang, love's redeeming work is what? Done because of the resurrection of Christ. So let's go back to my point here. What does this mean for you who wake up every morning living under a cloud of regret and if-onlys? It doesn't mean... That you never made mistakes. You did. So did I. Some of us have made terrible mistakes and committed grievous sins. And it does no good to live in denial of that fact. But listen to this, folks. The gospel enables you to do something that no other religion, no other philosophy of thought, no amount of penance or beating yourself to a pulp or no amount of positive thinking will permit you to do. The gospel allows you to look honestly and deeply at what you've done wrong, admit it, praise God for his grace, and move forward. Christianity enables you to move on no matter what has happened, no matter what you've done wrong in the past. Let me uh, illustrate it this way. Let's, I've got two books up here. Here's one, and we're going to say that this is the record of my sin. Everything I've ever done wrong, all the mistakes, all the flub-ups and mess-ups are recorded right here. And the scriptures say that your sins are like scarlet. That's why it's red. But 
here is another book, another record, and it contains a record of Christ's righteousness. Here's what happened. On the cross, there was a great exchange. My sin was removed from my book, as it were, and given to Jesus. So that when the father looked at his son, what did he see? A record of my sin, your sin, all of the sins of God's people. All counted as though committed by Jesus. And if it could be more amazing, all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ was transferred to me (laughs) and to you. Imputed to our account as though we are as perfect as Jesus. So that when God the Father looks down at me now, at you if you're a Christian, he sees not my sin, not our sin, but beauty, something of beauty. He sees his own son and he smiles. You know who I would love to talk to sometime about that? This guy. Do you know this this face? His name's Walter White. I don't know if you see the TV show Breaking Bad, but I've become a fan. My wife and I are now in about halfway through season three of Breaking Bad, and poor Walter. He just goes from failure to failure. Uh, On his record are murder and drug deals and uh, lies and lies and more lies. I wish I could sit down with Walter And tell him, you know what? It's possible. It's possible to not have to cover your tracks anymore. It's possible to not feel guilt and shame over past misdeeds anymore. You can actually come out and admit your failings. Something that poor Walter hardly is able to do. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, there are a lot of Walters in this world. Maybe you're one of them living with regrets that you never can seem to let go of. The gospel says you can because Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father and God is satisfied with what he did on the cross. Look at what Charles Spurgeon had to say. I love this quotation by a man who lived back in the 1800s. He said, We are today accepted in the beloved, absolved from sin, acquitted at the bar of God. Even now are our sins put away. Even now we stand in the sight of God accepted as though we had never been guilty. There's not a sin in the book of God, even now against one of his people. Isn't that great? Who dares lay anything to their charge? There is neither speck nor spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing remaining upon any one believer in the matter of justification in the sight of the judge of all the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because it's true. Every single believer in Jesus should and can believe that to be the case. Because if you do believe that, here's what will happen. You will refuse to live in the past. Oh, learn from the past? Yes, absolutely. But live in it? No more. No more. You can move forward in freedom rather than living under the cruel bondage of regret. That's the first benefit that we see in this passage of the exaltation 
of Jesus Christ. Let's move on to the second one. Not only can you live with freedom instead of regret because Jesus has been raised and exalted to the right hand of God, but secondly, you can have courage instead of or in spite of your fears. Notice I even made a mistake there. I meant to say in spite of your fears. Not instead of, but in spite of. Because it's unrealistic to think that you'll never be afraid. A wise person once told me, Mike, you'll always deal with fear because fear is simply part of human life. But what the gospel can help you to do is live with courage, face your fears, and do the right stuff in spite of your fears. Take the disciples, for example. Let's think about the, the, the 11 disciples after the resurrection of Jesus. They went from wimps to warriors, didn't they? One day they were timid, fair-weather friends of Jesus. They forsook him, you remember, when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all but one of them were nowhere to be seen uh, on the day when Jesus was crucified. But seven weeks later, they were courageous witnesses who stood before councils of interrogators. They preached in the streets of Jerusalem. They obeyed God rather than men. And some of Jesus' followers even were martyred because of their faith in him. Why the transformation? How could they go from wimp to warrior? It's because they believed verse 9 of our text. They believed God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Look at that word in verse 9, exalted. That Greek word is an unusual compound word. I kind of get into the techniques of... uh, of the Greek language a little bit. It's an unusual compound word. It's the only place in the New Testament where that word exalted is found. It starts with the prefix hyper, hyper. So Jesus was hyper exalted. In other words, he was highly exalted, exceptionally honored and elevated. And what that means is that this infinite God-man Jesus Christ, who died for us, is not just walking around someplace over in the Holy Land, but he is in glory, far above, as Paul says in Ephesians, all authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given. He's What is he doing? He's praying for us. He's caring for us. He is ruling over us. He's preparing a place for us to go one day. He's bigger than your problems. He's stronger than your fears. What is this called? It's called the ascension. The ascension. And it's something that you and I ought to think about more often. Jesus died on the cross. He was raised and he ascended. That's the ascension of Jesus Christ. Some of us often say the Apostles' Creed, right? And in the Apostles' Creed, what do we say? We say the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. The right hand is the place of sovereign control and power. The disciples were there to see this this ascension. They saw it with their very eyes. They saw Jesus rise up in the sky and go to heaven. And when Jesus ascended into heaven... It says in Ephesians 4 that he gave gifts to people. 
one of his most precious, most powerful gifts was the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the risen, ascended Jesus Christ poured down his spirit upon his people. Fifty days after the resurrection. That's why we call it Pentecost. The risen, ascended, exalted Jesus poured down his spirit upon his people. The the way it was happening was that the followers of Jesus were all gathered in Jerusalem waiting for something to happen when all of a sudden flames of fire appeared above their heads and they started talking in other languages, teaching and preaching the gospel in other languages. And people were crowding around and wondering what in the world is going on. They thought these folks were drunk. Peter stood up and said, we're not drunk. He said, Jesus, whom you put to death, is raised from the dead and exalted at the right hand of God. He has poured out his promised Holy Spirit. And God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That was Peter. Peter, who just a few weeks before denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Remember that? But he'd been changed by the ascension of Jesus Christ and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. You know, when I think of people who do courageous things, I think of people right here in our congregation. Let me mention a few. I'm going to leave out names just to keep them humble. (laughs) But I think of a woman who just recently felt that God was challenging her to reach out to her co-workers more than she ever had before. So she sent out an email to her co-workers and said, I'd like to start a Bible study during our lunch hour every week on Tuesday. She had no idea if anybody would respond. She had no idea if she'd be considered a fool and rejected by those people, but she was confident that she should do this and reach out to her friends. Sixteen people are going to start meeting every week for Bible study with her this coming Tuesday. When I think of courage, I think of uh, other people. Like, for example, there's a married couple in our church who decided they needed help. They started going to counseling together. Not an easy thing to do. I think of some couples in our church who are in the process of adopting a baby. That's a hard thing. I think of a woman in our church who wrote a book about the gospel. She had no idea if it'd ever be printed or published or bought. It's now listed on Amazon.com. I think of some of the students in our church who are going on their first mission trip this summer to Cherokee, North Carolina. I think of some people who are in the business world who chose to live with integrity instead of giving in to the temptation that was around them. I think of a woman with cancer in our church who is on yet another round of chemotherapy who goes to the hospital week in and week out to shine the light of Christ to the people that she meets. I think of an engaged couple that's in our church. I know them. They decided some time ago that they were going to establish physical boundaries for their relationships so that they would be sexually pure during their engagement. See, it's not that these kinds of people are not afraid or don't deal with fear. They do. But they're stepping out in faith and they're doing hard things for the glory of God. And so can you. So can you. I'm going to ask you, what has God been nudging you to do? What has God been pushing you, challenging you to do lately? 
to be light in a dark place perhaps, to make a difference at work or at school or in your neighborhood, do it. Do it. Be a man, a woman, a boy or a girl of courage because of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, not only when you focus on the exalted Jesus do you have freedom instead of regret, courage in spite of your fears, but in the third and last place, you have hope for the future instead of despair. Hope for the future instead of a sense of despair. Listen again to verse 9. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. What name is that? What name is that? Well, look at verse 10. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, friends, is Lord. That's the name above all names. It's the Greek word kurios. It means supreme ruler, commander, controller, highest authority, master. It's equivalent to the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the covenant name for God. And so it means that Jesus Christ has sovereignty over the entire universe. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Earlier I mentioned uh, Mary Magdalene, remember? She went to the tomb, she saw this man she thought was a gardener, and the gardener said her name, Mary. And instantly Mary knew that wasn't a gardener. That's Jesus risen from the dead. She ran back to tell the disciples that Jesus was now raised. And and she said to them, I have seen the Lord. Curious. Have you met the Lord? Have you met the Lord? Do you believe him this morning to be the one who was raised and exalted to the place of supreme authority over this world, over your circumstances, over your family, over your problems? Verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee? Yeah. Every single knee, angels and demons, saints in heaven, sinners in hell, everybody living on the earth. When Jesus returns one day, all will acknowledge Jesus is everything he claimed to be. He is very God of very God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the Lord of all glory. So I wonder this morning, it's a natural question that I should ask if I'm speaking to somebody who has not yet bowed the knee to Jesus. Do it today. You know, I hate to be a little bit morbid, but we say that it's a wise thing to have a prearranged funeral, right? We go to the mortuary and we make prearranged funerals for ourselves because we're preparing to die. There's something more important to do to prepare to die, and that is to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Admit your sins. Believe that he died on the cross to forgive you and rose again to justify you and commit your life to him. He'll make you his child. But if you are a Christian this morning, bow the knee to Jesus in hope, in hope about the future. You know that song, Because He Lives? 
It's true. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. History is moving toward a goal. The glory of God. Everything that happens is in a mysterious sort of way, part of a wonderful plan. Even your problems, even your challenges and your faults and so on. Trust the sovereign Lord of the universe to take those things and create something beautiful from them. One of my favorite Easter hymns was written back in the 18th century and it says this, Jesus lives and so shall I. Death, thy sting is gone forever. He who deigned for me to die lives the bonds of death to sever. He shall raise me with the just. Jesus is my hope and trust. Jesus lives and reigns supreme and his kingdom still remaining. I shall also be with him, ever living, ever reigning. God has promised, be it must, Jesus is my hope and trust. Jesus lives and death is now, but my entrance into glory. Courage then, my soul, for thou hast a crown of life before thee. You shall find your hopes were just. Jesus is the Christian's trust. Live with freedom, not regret. Live as you are a person of courage, not fear. And live with hope, not despair, because Jesus has ascended to heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you this morning that you are everything that you claim to be. You are Lord. You are our supreme commander. You are the ruler and the king of kings and Lord of lords. We pray today, O Lord, that we will live in light of these truths, that we will be people who move forward rather than living in the past. God, would you enable us to do that? Would you enable us, Lord, to take the challenges that are before us with courage and not wilt in fear? And Lord, as we look forward to the day when we see you, we pray that if there be someone today who needs to make it right with you, that he or she might even say something like this to you, Father, I am a sinner and need to know Christ. I need you to forgive me and make my life all over again. Lord, I have messed up, but I believe that Jesus is a savior of sinners. And so I desire to know you and have you first in my life. Come in, Lord, we, I pray, and make my heart your home. Lord, thank you that you're the kind of God who takes messes like us and creates something beautiful because you are the ascended Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-384. 3300.